Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 010. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, have you ever thought you had to have all your stuff together in order to worship Jesus? Have you ever told yourself, if I don't have all the details right, or say the right things, or do the right things, God isn't going to pay attention? Or worse, you tag it with, so why even try? Well, in today's story, we'll see a woman who worships Jesus in a pretty unorthodox way. She certainly doesn't follow the script of the religious leaders, and yet Jesus receives her worship more than anyone's. Check out how you can build the same kind of habits into your week and recognize the blessings every day of your life. Let's dive in. You ever mess up? I don't just mean trip and stumble a little bit. I mean like face down in the dirt, doing dirt angels to bury your face even deeper, flat as you can get, kind of mess up. It stinks. And the thing is, the more important it felt to succeed, the worse it feels, the more it stinks to mess up. Now, if you happen to have no idea what it is I'm talking about, you're welcome to go get some coffee early. The rest of us mere mortals will join you afterwards. But if you do know what I'm talking about, if maybe inside your head there was this nervous laugh track going as I opened up, and the cool thing is, I got a guy for you. A guy Jesus absolutely adored. I mean, one of his inner circle, I can tell you anything kind of guys. And he blew it big time. Again, high octane, 100% face down into the dirt, smearing his face around just to get it deeper. He fell so hard. Yes, one of the blessings of the Bible is that it, it contains stories of people who blow it big time. From page one to page end. And you know what happens in the end? Stay awake and find out. Let's pray together. God, help us. Help us to, to be honest with ourselves enough to pick out those times when we fall flat on our face and see what it is that you do in those times and through those times. Amen. The story I talk about continues this journey, this camp out in Mark's Gospel. So we're getting closer and closer to Good Friday and Easter. Out of Mark 14, this is uh, verses 26 to 42. When they had sung the hymn, they're celebrating the Last Supper, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to his disciples, You will all become deserters, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, to Jesus, Even though all become deserters, I will not. Jesus said to Peter, Truly I tell you, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said vehemently, Even though I must die to be, die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them had said the same. They went to the place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, and James, and John. And he began to be distressed and agitated. And Jesus said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little further, Jesus threw himself on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Daddy, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, 
or what you want. And he came, Jesus came, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not stay awake one hour? Keep awake and pray so that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, Jesus went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, does anybody remember mock awards from high school? Some communities may call them superlatives. You know, they're kind of the most likely awards. Most likely to become president. Most likely to take over the world. Most likely to end up on Jerry Springer someday. (laughs) If the disciples had mock awards, they had superlatives, I guarantee Peter would be the one who would be most likely to find an award-winning recipe for feet. Because I I was reading this article and I I heard of this new archaeological find uh, that they found over in in Israel like a month ago. They found a picture, a portrait of Peter. And they were able to date it actually really, really close. They like amped up their technique or whatever to nail it down to like 32 AD, something like that. (laughs) Tell PJ I'm sorry for that one. But I got to hand it to Peter. Much as he may have done that, and I hope his feet were really clean after the Last Supper, Peter was the real deal. I mean, he did everything full speed, high octane, no holding back. He was an all-in kind of guy. But the thing is, Peter's ego didn't get the memo that he is not a superhero. And the fact is, neither are we. We are neither invincible or impenetrable or unstoppable. Things, circumstances, stuff will try to knock us off balance, will try to trip us up, will try to put us flat on our face. And sometimes those things succeed. For some, this may be a total news flash. And if that's the case, I'm glad you're getting to hear it. I'm sorry you're getting to hear it from me. But if I describe you, you've experienced some of these things that maybe trip us up or make us fall on our face, then you're in good company. Because Peter was this stereotypical high school jock kind of guy. I can do anything. I'm unstoppable. Nothing will make me deny you, Jesus. He's solid. He is a rock. In fact, in one of those times when Peter got it right, Jesus responds to him in Matthew's Gospel. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not prevail against it. He renames this dude Rock. He says, that's who you are. That's what you are. Names him from Simon. Shifting sand. Unstable. Can't hold his place. Renames him to Peter. And look what happens as this story starts to go on. 
And Peter is going all in. I will never deny you. And then he falls asleep. Falls asleep. Falls asleep. And Jesus says, he came and found them sleeping. And he says to Peter, Simon, why are you sleeping? Couldn't you keep awake one hour? The heat starts to crank up. And all of a sudden, the rock becomes shifting sand again. His ego didn't get the memo. He is not a superhero. So how do we deal with that ego? Any part of it that may we may be able to relate to? Well, a few ideas. Stay alert. Recognize in peacetime that those trials will come. Now this is tough times. This is persecution. This is temptation. This is all rolled up in one. So I may kind of jump around between which word I use. I'm talking about kind of all of it here. Because they were getting ready to face persecution here. They're getting ready to have this mob come as the last verse of what Jesus says, you know, my, my betrayer is here. There's a mob of soldiers coming after them right before they split. See, when we're not in the hot seat, when we're not under fire, that's the time to accept the fact that these realities will come. Accept the fact that ego alone, that willpower alone, is not going to get us through it all by itself. Here's an example from, from last week. Uh, many of you probably heard some of the tales that Andrew and I and Sarah were telling about running the Spartan race last week. And part of what you don't get to see when you're, unless you're there is the fact that the first obstacle you have is climb a mountain. And then you kind of go off into the trees where you're out of sight of those that are at the start line just so you can look up and see more mountain that you've got to climb. And when you jump, jump over the wall and you get into the starting chute, it's kind of an event what happens there. They, they have this big melodramatic speech that the announcers are, are running through. And they have this epic battle music going on on a loudspeaker. And everyone's screaming and, and hollering and just getting amped up. And then they shout, go! And people are tearing off the line and running and screaming and all of that. And it's just, it's exciting. And you know what? All that rah-rah, all that hoopla and screaming and hollering and everything like that gets you about a tenth of the way up the mountain. And then even among probably the elite, they start slowing down real quick. After that, you better have had some prep under your belt. You better have done the squats and the lunges and the burpees in the peacetime so you can handle it when the tough time comes. Stay alert. Don't walk face first into temptation. Jesus lays out the truth in verse 38, warning his disciples, keep awake and pray that you will not come into the time of trial or the time of temptation. Same word. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We can tell ourselves we won't fall into temptation. We can willpower ourselves to a certain level and amp ourselves up and ramp ourselves up just like I can rah-rah myself up a mountain. problem is it only gets us so far. Over the long haul, it's only going to go so far. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about red flags and how they can warn us about temptation. And I had said one of the things to pay attention to is if you ever catch yourself saying, I'll go, but I won't participate. And that's one of those big red flags. Hey, you're walking into serious trouble. Get the guardrail up. Pay attention. You can tell yourself, I can tell myself, I won't give in. I won't fall. I won't stumble. I won't fall on my face. But give yourself a fighting chance. 
don't walk face first into the situation where you know you're going to be tempted. Now, here's the thing to keep in mind. What we struggle with each as individuals can be subjective. It can be different for different people from person to person. So I'm going to count on your creativity to kind of see how that works for you. But, you know, you may be with a, a collection of people, friends that don't necessarily struggle with something. And maybe you do and they don't know about it. And they, so they may be able to go do something that for you, for whatever reason, leads to temptation and don't walk face first into it. Stay alert to what is fact and what is feeling. And I had a friend as I was working through some of this message who summarized Peter really well. I kind of laid out a few different ways of how I look at him. But he, the fact is he feels intensely. Again, he's a 100% all-in kind of guy. And when he feels sure, he really feels sure. When he doubts, he really doubts. It's one of the things that makes Peter just a relatable person. Whatever it is that we go through, whatever our circumstances are like, he's probably been through it, and he's probably blown it, and maybe even occasionally got it right. And he feels very strongly, 100%, in this whole death-before-denial mentality that he has. And he voices it for everyone. He's kind of the spokesperson for the disciples. You read in one of the verses that, you know, he had said this, even if I have to die, I won't deny you. And the other disciples had agreed or voiced it as well. But the fact remains, he's human. He's still at risk for temptation. And his feelings can wax and wane with circumstances, with the weather, with how the Jerusalem Jets are doing in the playoffs. I mean, it isn't a perfect compare and contrast. So, you know, this this probably falls apart at some point. But if we count just on our feelings, which rah-rahing ourselves can amp up a feeling, it can get us into trouble. As the story goes on, Peter experiences feeling. He gets scared. He's off by himself. He's kind of hanging out on the fringes of of what's happening in Jesus' trial. And he starts being surrounded by very unfriendly people who if they found out he was a disciple, a follower of Jesus, they would probably come at him with very mean intentions. And he starts to feel scared, and it leads him to denying Jesus. He trusts that feeling. I'm scared. I'm threatened. I don't know what these people will do to me if, well, but he probably does know what people will do to him if he claims Jesus. And so he repeats, I don't know this man. But remind yourself of the facts in peacetime. And remind, even if you have to write them down, because you're not going to remember them when you get in that hot seat. Here's a good fact to remember. What Jesus prays to his Father. He says, for you, all things are possible. Jesus kind of reminds himself, he's worshiping, but he's kind of reminding himself probably at the same time of this unchanging fact about who his Father is and what his Father is like. It's a fact that isn't wishy-washy, doesn't wax and wane with the weather or with circumstances. Any emotion that you can feel, if you can feel it as intensely as Jesus does when he's in the garden praying this, if you can feel it as intensely as Peter does when he's giving his death before denial speech to Jesus, it doesn't change this fact. For you, God, all things are possible. Now, why do I drive this point home? Because here's another fact. Sometimes God's will isn't that we escape the persecution. Isn't that we have it easy or get out of the situation. 
And it's things to kind of put those two together that God's will and us facing a hard time can sometimes sort of intersect. But it played out that way in Jesus' own life. A lot of hard time going on in Jesus' life right in this moment. So much so that he's so anxious, he is medically sweating blood, which takes so much stress. Most people who have ever gone through it have died just from the act of doing it. And yet it's perfectly within God's will. But here's another fact to hang on to. And another reason why I drive this home. If he will bring you to it, he will bring you through it. If he will bring you to it, he will bring you through it. And as the story starts to play out, again, we're just looking at just a section of what is happening over this 24, 36-hour period. Jesus goes through this for a purpose. The anguished prayer that he is lifting up, the sweating blood, not to mention what is still yet to come when his body just faces the stuff that it's going to face over the next 24 hours. All of this he goes through so that this fact can become a part of the story. To get this fact, I'm going to go back a little bit. This question, why does Jesus warn the disciples that they're going to betray him? Why does he clue them into the fact, hey guys, you're going to fall flat on your face? Out of Matthew's version, Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters because of me this night. A couple hours, your guys are going to completely blow it. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. He warns them, you're going to fall on your face. And then he says, I will rejoin you in Galilee. You want proof that God can do anything? We can't sin bad enough that Jesus' sacrifice can't pay for it. We can't run away from Jesus far enough that he won't say, I'll meet you in Galilee afterwards. We can't mess up bad enough. We are incapable of doing it, of going so far that God won't say, that Jesus won't say, I still want a relationship with you. We mess up, God can forgive. Fact. Don't hold back in asking for it. In fact, do it quickly. The story plays out, and in John's Gospel, you read after the, the resurrection, after Easter, the disciples are, are having breakfast on the beach, and Jesus is kind of coming in on the boat. And it's one of the first times when Peter kind of catches the sort of, hey, I'll meet you in Galilee afterwards sort of thing. And Peter's so fast at wanting to ask for forgiveness, for wanting to make things right. He runs out to the boat. His, I hear his clothes fall off. He doesn't care. He's getting to that boat and meeting Jesus. He doesn't wait. He does it fast. Do it fast. And then learn from it. So I'm guessing Peter did. See, when Jesus' call out comes true, and Peter hears the rooster crow and thinks back of the last hour or so and thinks, oh my gosh, I just denied Jesus. He goes off and he weeps bitterly, Luke tells us. I'm guessing, speaking of feelings, he never wanted to ever experience that feeling again. Maybe you can know what some of that is like. 
We've experienced, we've let somebody down and you're like, I never want to know what this feels like ever again. And he would have loved to have been able to pass that lesson on to his kids and grandkids and said, hey, family, if you remember anything about me, remember this, don't do this. So when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to avoiding temptation, to fighting temptation, facing persecution, whatever combination of words you want to use for this, what advice would you give to a new believer? How would you pass it on like Peter would pass on his lesson? Here's the trick. Think that through over this week and then give that advice to yourself. Remind yourself of what you would tell another person. And if you learn as you're telling yourself your own advice and trying to take your own advice that maybe you have to tweak it, then go ahead and do it. That's prepping in peacetime. Before your loved one, before somebody you care about is in the hot seat and you've got to think, what do I tell them? Well, that's the hot seat. You want to know what's, what to do ahead of, ahead of that. So when you do have the, the chance to share the lesson, you're ready. And if you need a place to start, I'll give you a great place. It comes one verse after the verse so many Christians know, John 3.16. Well, John 3.17 is just as powerful. God did not send the Son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Thanks again for listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org, or if you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning. I must offer a correction from this message. One of my leaders pointed out that as I told the disciples' breakfast story, I flipped the characters around. Jesus was actually the one making the breakfast on the shore, and Peter was the one in the boat. But the point is the same. You can check out the story in the Bible in John chapter 21. On next week's episode, sometimes go with the flow seems like the path of least resistance. And it is, but that doesn't always make it the best path. What if the crowd were preparing to jump off a cliff, proverbially speaking, of course? Can we stand on our own without the support of the mobs around us? Find out next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.